Really, they're, they're anointed, they're talented, all of that stuff, and we're grateful, aren't we? Let's pray. Father, we pray for your spirit to reign in this. At this time, as I preach your word, God, may I have the very words of heaven, O Lord. May I get it right, I pray, that you will get all the glory and the honor and the praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. You can say amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series of messages. Pastor Chad preached last week and the week before in this series, and we're calling it Gaining Strength. And last week, Pastor Chad talked about the prophet Daniel. You remember the, the life he lived. It was not easy at times. Went through a lot of trials and tribulations, but he prevailed, and he did exploits because God had strengthened him at crucial times in his walk with the Lord. And this evening, I'm going to be preaching on Elijah, another prophet. And let me tell you, he went through some difficult times. And we're going to look at that passage, the famous passage, in 1 Kings chapter 19. And so please already turn there in your Bibles. And uh, we're going to look at uh, what I think is a fascinating passage. And uh, we're going to see that he gained strength in the midst of, I would say, trauma. And he's a great person to study. James chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Aren't you glad some of these great men and women of God are actually just people, regular, regular dudes? They, uh, they have a nature like ours. We can learn a lot from them. And God uses sometimes some unimpressive people to do exploits. And uh, Elijah was one of those. I'm calling this message, How to Go from Stress to Strength, Six Prescriptions. How to go from stress to strength, six prescriptions. We're going to focus primarily on 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is the time when I, Elijah ran away, escaped from King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And there in a wilderness place, God met with Elijah and he bolstered his body, soul, and spirit. Elijah goes from stress to strength. Elijah experienced what some psychiatrists today would classify as trauma. Typically, they define it as an emotional response to an event or a series of events perceived as physically or emotionally harmful or threatening. Now, if he didn't have trauma, he sure had severe stress. And we see this in chapter 17 and 18 before our primary text in 1 Kings chapter 19. Chapter 17 begins with Elijah declaring a multi-year drought to King Ahab. No rain, no dew. Ahab and his wife Jezebel were notorious for their harsh treatment of God's prophets. And so announcing this drought would put Elijah in an immediate existential danger. Amid this drought, Elijah would have to face the possibility of starvation or total dehydration because it was a drought and a serious drought. In one case, the Lord sent him ravens to feed him, and then he was led to a widow from Zarephath who gave him supernatural sustenance. And then we have this high-stakes confrontation on Mount Carmel in chapter 18, verses 20 to 40. Elijah stood alone against 450 false prophets of Baal. And then the execution of Baal's prophets, 
Though a demonstration of God's divine justice could easily have led to the violent death of Elijah because of this execution. Imagine yourself with such threats to your life. Or, or maybe you don't need to imagine. <laughs> you're stressed out and you don't know how you're going to survive. We've got terrorism, we've got war. Some people said we're heading into third world, third world war. Some have said we're already in it. I don't know if you're stressed out about that. Over the last three or four years, world health organizations and experts tell us that there's a notable 25% global rise in anxiety and depression. Generation Z is experiencing heightened stress, anxiety, loneliness, and suicides are increasing at a frightening pace. And for believers, it appears that spiritual warfare is intensifying. Anybody notice that? We know that Elijah was undoubtedly in the midst of spiritual warfare with Jezebel. If there was ever a wicked woman, it was Jezebel. And so looking at Elijah's experience, which was no less severe than anything we're facing, is super relevant tonight. And if we apply the same six prescriptions that Elijah took, that you and I will go from stress to strength. I need to get this right. You know, I, I studied counseling at a master's level, but I am no expert, and that was a long time ago. And I'm not a dietitian, <laughs> a nutritionist, so I've had to do a bit of research to get this right this evening. I want us to read our text, and it's a long text, but Every word in this passage is fascinating, I think, and you're going to enjoy reading this. Because if you think you've got it rough, check out Elijah. Verse 1 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Then Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. It's clear and present danger here. And when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life. He didn't just run. He ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. I don't know what you're imagining when you think of a broom tree. Thank you, Lord. You gave me a broom. I can clear the area here and just enjoy my spot. No, it's a different kind of tree than that. And he prayed that night that he might die. It is enough. Or in more modern lingo, enough already. Now the Lord... Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again, a nap after already having slept. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. He was allowed seconds. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand. He said, go out and stand. And I lost my place on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Now jumping to verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And also you shall anoint Yehu or Jehu, the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every month mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Then we skip to verse 21. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Remember Elijah needed some water? I don't see any cake here, but okay. <laughs> From this passage of scripture, I see six prescriptions to go from stress to strength. First, physical rest. Secondly, nourishment. Then escaping to a quiet place. Fifth, uh, fourthly, expressing emotions. Fifthly, reflect on your calling. And six, return to your community. Our great physician wants us strong. There are six prescriptions, and I use the word prescriptions playing on this whole idea that God is our great physician. And we see these six prescriptions in our text. In Exodus 15, verse 26, there's a promise to the children, if they obey the Lord, the Lord says, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Ani Adonai Rofecha, your physician. Rofe is the modern Hebrew word for doctor or physician. One of God's names is Adonai Rafa. And by the way, our latest grandchild is named Rafa. And what kind of a do doctor or physician is he? He is not only a physician who deals with our bodies. We read in Psalm 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In some ways, we could say God is a psychiatrist. In our text in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, the Hebrew word nephesh appears several times. One case is 1 Kings 19.2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life nephesh as the life nephesh of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Then in the next verse, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his nephesh. <laughs> nephesh describes a part of a person that is immaterial, like one's mind, emotions, will, intellect, 
personality and conscience. And when we look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, it was a translation that rabbis did more than 200 years before Yeshua showed up on the scene. They took the entire Hebrew Old Testament and the Aramaic of the Old Testament and turned it into Greek. And what word in Greek did they use for the Hebrew nephesh? The word was tsuke, where we get the word psyche, where we get the word psychologist or psychiatrist. God cares about our psyche, our nephesh. It's very interesting in modern Hebrew. Uh, when we talk about mental health, the, the saying in Hebrew is briut hanefesh. Briut hanefesh. We read back in Genesis that God breathed into those first humans their nephesh, their inner being, their minds, emotions, will, intellect, personality, and conscience. God's desire for you and I is that we be not only physically sound, but mentally sound as well. The Apostle John writes in his third letter, verses two and three, listen to this. He's writing to, he says this, elder, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your psyche prospers, your soul prospers. A vital gauge of our overall, overall health is how we relate to our God. Yeshua said that the greatest command is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, cardia, with all your soul, psuche, or psyche, and with all your mind. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. These three distinct components of spirit, soul, and body are the trichotomy of human per personhood. A few days ago, our firm staff got together, all of us, for a day away, and uh, we all had to do a questionnaire. I think it was 100 questions checking up on our body, our soul, and our spirit. You know what? I didn't put 100. It was, one, it was best out of 10. I didn't get 110. I got a lot of nines. It's either my humility or I'm just not in great shape, one or the other. <laughs> I used to be humble, but then I, uh, well, I won't explain what happened to me, but anyway, I'm trying to be humble. What I, what I say to people is, I am not humble at all. I, I'm as egotistical as the next guy, but I do my best to make humble decisions, to fight my ego. So we have this tripartite nature. I think we have a slide for that, and it shows body, soul, and spirit. God, our great physician, cares about our bodies, cares about our psyche, he cares about every aspect of our lives. Now we come to the first prescription that we learn from Elijah. And here we go. Rest or sleep. Both. Going back to our text, verse nine, uh, verses 4 and 5 of 1 Kings 19. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. 
He lay and slept under a broom tree. Sleep is an essential prescription for stress. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. As a little child, my parents taught me a prayer to pray before I went to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Four or five years old, parents teaching me to pray this cruel prayer. I could die in the middle of the night. But the first part of the prayer is, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. So we actually get that reassurance that God doesn't slumber or sleep when we're sleeping, and he cares about us, and he's keeping us. Praise God. Seems Elijah even needed an extra dose of sleep because of his stressful state. In verse 5, Elijah gets his first sleep session, but in verse 6, he takes a nap as well. It says that Elijah lay down again. Is it good to take a nap? A study discovered that extended nighttime sleep reduces the afternoon dip in alertness. However, an afternoon nap can be more effective, can more effectively combat daytime sleepiness. I thought some of you would like that information. You don't need to feel guilty about taking a nap, and some of you are napping right now. <laughs> another study, another study concluded that napping for less than 30 minutes during the day promotes wakefulness and enhances performance and learning while frequent and long naps may lead to adverse long-term health effects. So don't nap through my whole sermon. <laughs> now, I think you all realize that, you know, trying to go to sleep, you're laying there, you get your iPhone out or your Android, and you're, uh, you're checking your social media, you're checking the news. Not a good idea. How many of you notice the news is bad? Uh, and, and on social media, you get clicks only if it's bad news. Can you imagine trying to get to sleep after you've had those nightmares? Except that they're real. Now we come to the second prescription. Nourishment. Again, I said I am not a dietitian, But let me give you some advice. We read this in 1 Kings 19.5. Then Elijah lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank. Let them eat cake, declared Marie Antoinette, the Queen of France, during the French Revolution. Now, I was walking down the street, I think it was two days ago, and I was thinking about my message, and I walked along Jaffa Street, and can you see it well enough? English cake, right? And what I noticed, I walked right by those older guys sitting at that table, and they're really old, and it looks like they gather there regularly. There are a bunch of those kinds of clubs that, that sit in restaurants on, on Jaffa Road. They were eating sunflower seeds, sitting in the chairs at the table, of English cake, but that's why they are still alive. Okay, how many of you like cake? Black forest cake, uh, cherries throughout. Well, it says in the passage that the angel gave him angel cake. 
And the cake is uga in, in Hebrew. And let me just tell you, there's no mention of sugar anywhere in the Bible, including no mention of icing sugar. This was made from flour and water. Earlier, when, remember he met the, the lady of, of Zarephath, she made him cake, uga, and most people translate it as loaf, and it was made from flour and oil. That's good for you. How many know, though, that cake is not all you should eat? Or even a loaf of bread. I'm going to give you right now, quickly, a list of all of the foods that are in the Bible. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, any dietitian today will tell you that at least 90% of these are the thing you need for a long life, especially heart-healthy life. Okay? I should have done this years ago. I've had four heart attacks. So you can see I'm not an expert in this field. But I've learned lessons from that. Amen? And I'm pretty healthy for a 70-year-old guy. Okay. So here they are. In the fruits and nuts category. And some of you can really relate to that. I stopped there. Okay. Apples, almonds, pomegranates, figs, grapes, olives, dates, vegetables, and legumes is another category. Cucumbers, garlic, leeks, lentils, melons, onions, beans, coriander, dill, mustard. Now the grains category, barley, wheat, and bread, of course, made from both of those. And then the meats and dairy section, lamb, fish, quail, goat milk, calf, other foods, honey, salt, wine, olive oil, raisins. Isn't that a healthy diet? Come on. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. God knows what we need right there. Now, I might offend a few vegans or vegans in the house, but two chapters earlier in 1 Kings 17, 5 and 6, we read, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. This is speaking to Elijah here. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. The ravens brought him bread and basar, meat, in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. He had meat twice that day. Basar, 270 times in the Bible. Okay, enough of that. And by the way, it's important. Yeah, the cafe's open tonight, by the way, after the service, okay? It's very important also to get adequate food. Because of stress, Elijah, already having had a meal, went back to the table for seconds. It says in verse 7, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. And you'll see it in the text. 1 Corinthians 19, we also read that the angel brought Elijah water. More and more physicians are telling us to drink more and more water, especially here in the Middle East. Down south where Elijah went in the wilderness, he needed lots of waters to avoid dehydration. 1 Kings 19.8, we read, So Elijah arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. He went in the strength. We can go from stress to strength if we'll do what God tells us to do. Can you say amen to that too? Now, one of you might say, what about exercise? Actually, I don't think anybody's asking that, but anyway... Um, Elijah didn't need any exercise. He had been running and running and running away from Jezebel. He didn't need any exercise. And by the way, in Bible times, hardly anybody needed any exercise because all their work was physical. 
okay? None of our work is physical today. And within a few years, robots will be doing anything that's left that's physical, right? So we are sedentary people, and it's not good to just keep sitting all the time, and it's not good to keep sleeping all the time. Just thought I'd remind you of that as well. For those of you who might be asleep, would you wake up the person next to you? Thank you. Okay. Paul wrote this to his disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. But we do need exercise because we don't have physical stuff happening much in our lives. So I actually think exercise is more, more than it was in Paul's day. That's, that's for sure. Now the third prescription for Elijah, and that's quiet. He got to a quiet place. Reading from 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So Elijah leaves his servant, as well as his smartphone. And he goes and he escapes to a quiet place. And Luke 5, verse 16, concerning Yeshua, Luke says, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. I could tell you that the most powerful encounters that I've had with the Lord in my adult life has been when I have gone away to a quiet place alone. At one point where I was very depressed. It's... Uh, around the year 2000 and uh, just wondered if maybe ministry was over maybe we should go back to Canada where we originally came from back in 1983 and thought well not seeing a lot of fruit these days and we've plateaued we were so used to growth and development and it was exciting we had a few challenges at that time but when I went away all alone I said God I need a fresh download of your Holy Spirit and he answered that prayer and I can tell you my life was changed at that point in a powerful way. I think I got a download of the gift of faith. And you are sitting in an auditorium that would not have been our auditorium if I had not gotten that gift of faith and believed that God was telling us to do such a thing. After we built this place, I went to the wilderness. I went down by the Dead Sea. It was very dry. It was a wilderness. And I asked the Lord for more direction. And he said, um, you guys need a house of prayer. So we came and ended up purchasing the, what's now the 21st floor of this building. It's in that quiet place where there's no static, where you can hear a pin drop, maybe a few birds and crickets, but, but you quiet enough that you can sense the voice of the Lord speaking to your heart. When's the last time you did that? My wife would like me to do that. For several days, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. And she's smiling, thankfully. Okay. We're in a noisy world, aren't we? A lot of static. To hear the voice of the Lord clearly without interference, we've got to get to a quiet place. And that's where Elijah heard the voice of the Lord. He would move from that wilderness near Beersheba. And we read in verse Kings chapter 19, verse 8, then he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of, the, of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place, another remote place. In that quiet place, 
Elijah heard the voice of the Lord. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Now, prescription number four. Acknowledging and expressing emotions. Acknowledging and expressing emotions. We've looked at rest, nourishment, escaping to a quiet place. And now, prescription number four, to get from stress to strength by expressing our emotions. We see how David did this, and we're going to see how Elijah did this. David wrote in Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Psalm 25, 16 and 17. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Haven't you noticed a lot of Psalms? David is expressing the deepest places in his heart, his emotions. He's, he acknowledges them. He lifts them up to the Lord. He's not concerned that he's going to disappoint the Lord. The Lord already knows he's feeling those things. Why don't you just acknowledge it? Confess it. Agree with God. That's what confession means, by the way. In the Greek, homologia, homologia is to agree with agree with. In other words, you agree with God. Yes, I'm in this state of affairs. I'm in, I'm in sin or I'm in, I'm in this stressful situation. So we read in 1 Kings 19, 9 and 10 concerning Elijah and expressing his emotions. And when he went into the cave, he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then in verses 11 to 13, we read how the Lord reveals himself to Elijah, not through a powerful phenomenon like, phenomenon like wind or earthquake or fire, but through a still small voice. It says, in verse 13 and following, suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been zealous. Then at the end of verse 14, he says, I, am, I alone am left and they seek to take my life. I am alone and left and they seek to take my life. He says this twice, by the way. Elijah is still distraught. He's feeling in his isolation. He's afraid that he's going to die. Elijah didn't try to suppress his emotions. He didn't try to pretend he was just fine. He didn't have positive confessions. He actually was just, he let it all out. And he and King David would have been great friends. It's not a sin to express negative feelings, stressful feelings to the Lord. It's not like the Lord doesn't know the state of your mind already. So you may as well get honest to where you're at. Yeshua never sinned. Right? Yeshua never sinned. But he cried out in his most stressful moment hanging on that cross for you and me. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is in Aramaic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are times when we don't know what's going on beneath the surface. We don't even know what to cry out or what to pray. And we read this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
From my study, I believe Paul is referring to praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. And we know that our inner person is encouraged and strengthened when we pray in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He builds himself up. Paul, who, like Elijah, went through stressful times, says in the same chapter, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. So if you've got a prayer language, use it, especially when you have no words to express your feelings and emotions during stress and strain, and all you can do is groan. Number five, reflect on your calling. Because of Elijah's severe stress, some would even say depression and anxiety, he loses sight of his calling. This is illustrated when he says twice in our story, the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. So discouraged and discombobulated was Elijah that he talked himself into thinking he was the only believer left in Israel. But in this wilderness place, at the mountain of God, the Lord declared to Elijah, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah had forgotten that God had raised him to, up to confront the idolatrous and immoral Ahab and Jezebel and the nation. He, was, he had been given divine authority to speak the word of the Lord in boldness. And it was a time when he was convinced that he had a clear sense of calling, but he had lost that in this time of stress. Back then, he declared confidently, he, he knew his calling at that time. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known to this day, this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Clear to him, I'm a servant of yours, Lord, and you have put your word in my mouth and I declare it. He knew he was a prophetic voice in a dark time. But after seeing no fruit from his ministry, at least visible fruit, Elijah had come to see himself as an utter failure. He had convinced himself that he was a non-prophet. In verse 13 of our text, we read, suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God was asking for him to do a reevaluation of who he is, why he's here on the planet. And God, knowing Elijah's deep despair, brought Elijah into this wilderness to reflect on his life and his purpose for living. And in that undisturbed, quiet place, God reminded him of who he really is and why he's on this, in this world. It's interesting that he's in this wilderness to get this, to go through this self-examination and try to get out of his false feeling of victimhood and failure. The word wilderness in Hebrew is midbar. Medaber, which means speak, has the same root as midbar. The Lord loves to speak in the wilderness. It's interesting that John the Baptist, who comes in the spirit of Elijah, said these words, I am a voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he, he had heard the voice of the Lord. He was just repeating it to the people of his day. In our text, we see that God will use the wilderness setting to remind and renew Elijah's sense of calling as a divinely anointed and inspired prophet of God. Near the end of his wilderness reflection on his calling, we read this in verse 15 of 19. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. 
And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. God is not finished with Elijah. As discouraged as he felt, all alone, a loser, God tells him, hey, let me remind you, you're called, and I'm even giving you an upgrade. You are going to anoint this king over Syria and this king over Israel. Can you imagine? What a call. If we take time away in a quiet place in our times of stress or discouragement or depression and and wonder if God made a mistake in putting us in this world, but if we truly desire to serve him with our whole heart, God will remind us that we are called and that we have a great purpose. The Apostle Peter declared God's calling and purpose for each and every one of us in this room this evening. He writes in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. Have you got your marching orders? I mean, right there. We are all called and we're special to God. Maybe you're in the wilderness right now, but maybe the Lord brought you into this auditorium this evening to hear these words and remind you that you are special, that you are royal, that you are priestly, and that you are holy to the Lord. And finally, community. The sixth and last prescription the Lord gives Elijah. And he'd give it to us this evening, community. You see, Elijah had left his servant back in Beersheba, but Elijah couldn't stay in that remote place alone forever. And then he went and he lived in a cave, or he was, we don't know how long he was there, but he was all by himself in this cave. And some of you are in a dark place, in despair, and you're stressed out by people, difficult people people who maybe have rejected you or betrayed you or just ignored you. And the temptation is to go and hide away somewhere, some kind of cave somewhere. But your great physician this evening would prescribe to you community. We read this in 1 Kings 19.16. Also you shall anoint Jehu and the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And now down to verse 19. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his cloak, his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. Now going down to verse 21 at the end. Then he that is Elisha, arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Elijah would not be a lone ranger. Just like Yeshua sent out his disciples two by two, he would enlist another man to walk with him, and his name would would be Elisha. Elisha left his cave, and he returned to his community. And in later chapters, it shows that Elijah and Elisha served together for several years. And during this time, Elisha learned from Elijah and got prepared for his own prophetic ministry. 
And it's generally accepted that Elijah's ministry lasted around 35 years. Elisha's ministry spanned about 70 years. And some would say that's the fulfillment of this request for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah understood what Peter, the apostle, understood. That God gives us a spiritual gift or more than one gift. Not just for our own benefit. But for the good of the body of Yeshua. First Peter says, verse, chapter 4, 10 and 11, as each one has received a gift, minister to it to one another. Get that? One another. How many times is one another in the New Testament? You've done this study, my wife, Anne. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times, one another. Doesn't that mean you can't go alone? <laughs> We're in a one another relationship with God and one another as his body. And that gift says here, use your gift as good stewards. The gifts are on loan to us. If we don't use them in the body, if we hold on to them ourselves and not give them away, he'll take them away. They will not be useful. And then we read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The common good. Elijah invested in Elisha, and we're to invest in our fellow believers in our congregation. It's the best investment of all, let me tell you, because people, unlike our possessions, are eternal. Eternal. So what have we learned this evening? Six prescriptions to go from stress to strength. Sleep, rest, nourishment, quiet. Expressing our emotions, reflecting on our true calling and community. Lord, I pray that you'll help us be healthy. And more than healthy, be strong. Because Lord, we are in dire straits right now. And it seems that the world is going mad. It seems that there are threats on every hand, especially here in our neighborhood. Oh God, may we not become overcome. May we not be depressed or anxious or fearful. Let not stress get to us. Lord, may we be more than conquerors. May we be available to you in this critical hour when, when everyone else is looking for answers. They're reaching up to touch bottom in many cases that we're there to reach down and help because we got a strong arm. Help us, Lord. May we take your prescriptions. O physician, the great physician who heals all of our diseases, I pray. Amen. Some of you need to get real honest before the Lord, but maybe even honest with a brother or sister tonight. You know, James tells us that we're to confess our sins one to another. I'm not telling you to necessarily do that with a stranger tonight, if you don't know the person, but our prayer team is gonna come right now to the front. I'm gonna join them. And we're gonna pray. Whatever your need is, whether you're in stress or you're in strength, we're, we're ready to pray with you. If we agree in prayer, 
is touching anything, it will happen. We want to agree with you, and we're going to agree, believing God wants you strong for such a time as this. Worship team, lead us. Thank you.